Welcome to a new episode of Northwest Passages, where we feature books and poetry with a connection to the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host and producer, Douglas Furr, and today we'll continue to explore the passages from the Ken Kesey novel, Sometimes a Great Notion, published in 1964. In the passage we'll hear today, the underlying tensions of the Stamper family, loggers in a small Oregon town, become more tense with half-brothers Hank and Lee trying to keep the family logging operations moving with a backdrop of a union strike by other loggers in town. Okay, now you watch this. Lee stands with his hands in his pockets while Hank explains the job with the slow patience of a man who is explaining something once and it had better be picked up because it isn't about to be repeated. He shows Lee how to loop the length of cable over a fallen and bucked log and how to hook the cable to the big line that runs in a circle from the pulley at the anchor stump to the rigging at the top of the spar. And when you get it hooked, you'll have to be your own whistle punk till things level out. We're too shorthanded for such luxuries. You savvy? I nodded, and Hank went on, outlining my duties for the day. Okay, listen. Hank gives the cable a kick to make sure it is secure then leads Lee up the slope to a high stump where a small wire runs in a gleaming arch to the donkey puffing and clanging 75 yards away. One jerk means take her away. He pulls the wire. A shrill peep from a compressed air whistle on the donkey sets the tiny figure of Joe Ben into action. The cable tightens with a deep twanging. The donkey engine strains, an outraged roar, The log lurches out of its groove and goes bumping up the hill toward the yarder. When the log reaches the spar, they watch Joe Ben leap from the donkey cab and scuttle over the pile of logs to unhook the choker. Then one of Orland's boys creaks the neck of the yarder forward, like the skeleton of some prehistoric reptile painted yellow and brought fleshless to life. Joe Ben gouges the tongs into each side of the log and jumps clear, as he waves to the boy in the yarder cab. Again, the gigantic piece of wood lurches and is jerked into the air as Joe Ben hustles back to the donkey controls. Joe's being his own chaser. It's tough on him, but like I said, it can't be helped. By the time the yarder has pivoted and swung the log onto the bed of the truck and nudged it into place, Joe Ben is back in the donkey and the cable is reeling back out again. It comes snaking through the brush and torn earth toward the place where Lee and Hank stand waiting. I listened, hoping Hank would explain more about the task, cursing him for presuming he needed to explain as much as he had. We were standing alongside each other at the show, going through last-minute instructions before my big first day. Viv C. spends a lot of her time reading and is up on a lot of things. That's trouble right there, because there's nothing in the whole world makes old Henry matter than somebody, especially some woman, having the common gall to be up on a lot of things he's already got opinions on. So anyhow, this once, they got into it about what the Bible of all things says about this race business. They watch the cable draw nearer. Then you see, when the choker gets close to where you want it, give her two jerks. The whistle peeps twice. The high line stops. The choker cable hangs shuddering in its own dust. Okay, watch now. I'll set it one more time for you. The old man, see, was claiming the Bible said the spooks were born to be bond servants because their blood was black like the blood of Satan. Viv disagreed a while, then got up, 
walked to the gun case where we keep the big family Bible with the birthdays in it, and went to flipping through with Henry just a glowering. When Hank has repeated the procedure, he turns to Lee. You got it now? I nodded, determined and dubious. Brother Hank then took a wristwatch from his pocket and looked at it, wound it, and returned it to the same pocket. I'll check with you when I can, he told me. I got to see about rigging a spar on that peak yonder this morning because we'll have to move the yarding and loading later this afternoon or tomorrow. You sure you got it now? Lee nods again, his mouth tight. Hank says, okie doke then, and goes crashing off through the vine and brush towards the crummy truck. Hey, a few yards away, he stops and turns. I bet you didn't think to bring those gloves, did you? No, I might have known. Here, use mine. Lee catches the wadded gloves and mutters, Thanks, thanks ever so much. Hank resumes his crashing through the brush. When Viv found what she's after in that big Bible, she read, The blood of all men is as one, and shut the Bible. And I tell you, that pissed the old man so, that I don't know if he would have ever spoke to her again, not another word ever, if it hadn't been for the lunches she started packing for us to take to work. Lee holds the gloves in one hand, burning with frustrated and confused anger as his brother walks away. You prick, he calls wordlessly after Hank, you pompous prick. Use mine, huh? As though he was giving me his right arm. Why, I'll wager every nickel I can lay my hands on that he has at the very least a dozen such pairs in that truck. Hank finished his instructions and walked away, leaving me to have at it. I looked after him, stomping off through brush and brambles, then looked at the cable he had left with me, then at the nearest log, and, fired by that long-shot challenger's elation that I had experienced earlier, pulled on my gloves and had at it. Sometimes a great notion was also made into a movie, directed by Paul Newman, who played the role of Leland. You can learn more about the book's author, Ken Kesey, by googling University of Oregon, Ken Kesey. The university has a collection of his works. Thanks for listening today, and thanks to Connie Furr for her reading. Northwest Passages is a KSQM Studios production.